Hey guys, it is officially May, May 5th, and it's Tuesday. I hope you're doing well. Uh, today we are going kind of all over the place, um, trying to cherry pick to make sure we get, you know, as close to today as possible. And so I'm sure you're realizing that I am skimming some things off, but um, uh, you're, you're still, you'll, you're very well prepared for junior year and hopefully you are actually learning, um, from these podcasts. I know this isn't ideal, but hopefully you're learning. So if you're following along with the notes, like I said, we're kind of bouncing, we're going to start with Israel and then we're going to bounce over to Cuba. And, uh, basically world war II left Europe just in shambles physically, financially. And, uh, the, you know, we spent like almost a month, on colonizing the world. Well, um, if we were in school, we'd spend, you know, maybe three days decolonizing the world. Um, well, we don't have time to do that. So I'm just going to kind of throw some here and there. Um, Africa, there's so many different African countries and awesome case studies of their decolonization. Um, if you're interested in that, um, there were some readings I was going to have y'all do. Um, let me know. I'm sure you're not, but I see some of y'all are like not going to bed till three in the morning. So if you want to read something to help you fall asleep earlier, you know where to find me. Anyway, let's pop, pop over to Israel, um, the creation of Israel. Um, I'm also going to give you an optional advice that's really good that we w- would have watched together. But basically, just a review of, if you recall, um, this this part of, it was um, it was a ma- British mandate after World War One. It was Palestine. Um, and um, if you remember what the term Zionism is, but basically the the belief that Jews deserve their homeland in Palestine. And so a lot of Jews had been migrating to Palestine um, leading up um, to the uh, end of the Second World War. Um, so Britain had Palestine as a mandate since uh, 1922. And um, basically after World War II, um, it was Britain decided to give the this decision to the UN with a newly created UN of what are we going to do with Palestine? Is it going to be split? Is it going to be for the Jews? Is it going to be for the Palestinians? That was something, um, the, uh, um, nobody in England, they didn't want to deal with alone. So they gave it to the, um, UN. So basically, uh, the UN, um, what was, uh, recommended is that two states would be um, would be created out of Palestine, where there would be one for the Jews and one for the Arabs. Uh, your fun fact for the day is the Jews accepted it and the Arabs did not accept it. Um, so that um, was not going to work. Uh, it was then uh, Israel was then created, and uh, as you can imagine, this immediately cr- completely pissed off the surrounding Arab countries. Um, and both the United States and the USSR recognize this new state of Israel. Uh, if we were in school, we also would have spent some time looking at the various wars that are fought between um, the state of Israel and the surrounding Arab states. It's positively fascinating, and it's really important to truly understand the politics of today and America's uh, position with Israel. Again, if you have time, watch the Vice that you'll um, would it give you a link to. So the immediate um, Arab, sorry, my email's up. The immediate immediate Arab reaction was extremely uh, irritating to the surrounding Arab countries, and uh, in Egypt in particular, there was uh, a nationalist revolution in 1952, and its goal was to get England out. Um, and so England is going to leave, and the new president of 
Egypt is named uh, Gamal. You see, I think I have it there. Yeah, Gamal Abdal Nasser. And uh, he wants to nationalize the Suez Canal. And um, he's successful. He's successful. And this is basically the last symbol of Western power in the Middle East. This is, this is huge. Um, re- what's really interesting is that the French, the British, and the Israelis are ready to attack Egypt to get the Suez back. And second fun fact for your day is the United States and the Soviet Union, we basically like work together and say, no, we're going to let the Egyptians keep this one. So it's really quite fascinating. Um, the proxy wars we choose to get involved in and the proxy wars we chose not to get involved in. Um, what, uh, I have some more, I have two more names up here for you. Um, Hassan Albana, uh, at this time, um, he created what's known as the Muslim Brotherhood. And it's really important to truly understand you may have preconceived notions of what that was, but it was a political party with the sole purpose of getting the Brits out. It still exists today. They went through a very violent time period in the fifties and sixties. Then they went through a very nonviolent time period. It's a really interesting, um, if you take my senior course plug, uh, we talk extensively about the Muslim brotherhood. And then the other man of the hour aside, Kutub, um, several of you had him on your six links assignment. Um, we talk about him almost weekly in my senior class, but he was an Egyptian that uh, was uh, went to America, a guerrilla Colorado, went to college, and was just horrified by Americans. He was horrified how Americans drank and women danced and drank and were very open with themselves. And um, really, you know, what, what was expected for him to realize, eh, America's not that bad, the exact opposite. Uh, when he came back, he went to jail. Uh, Nasser, um, he was accused of potentially working with the Muslim Brotherhood and plotting Nasser's death. Nasser put him in jail. Nasser said, look, he was a really educated dude and before worked in Nasser's government. He said, look, I'll get left you off the hook. Please, can you just stop doing this? And, and Syed Qutb was like, no. And um, so Syed Qutb was actually killed. Uh, I was sentenced to death. And um, almost every single radical Sunni um, militant jihadist group um, bases their ideology on Syed Qutb's book that he wrote in prison. And so he's just a really, really important dude to understand when looking at modern day terrorism. So with that being said, <laughs> that's uh, for your day. Um, we are going to go to Cuba. And uh, Cuba, just so you know, Um, and I'm watching the time. I know I'm kind of babbling today, but Cuba in the 1920s was incredible tourism. Like just, it was fabulous. Uh, it was uh, amazing resorts. I mean, think of if you've ever been on a vacation for a nice beach resort, like this was that, but what the tourists didn't see was the underclass. Um, it was a highly socially divided society. Um, then much taros, and I know you know I butcher everything, but basically these were the sugarcane cutters, and sugarcane was the main crop of Cuba. And um, these men worked for four months, and it was backbreaking work. And then they were, you know, had no job. <clears throat> uh, and so this inequality continued until uh, nineteen um, uh, continued, and in nineteen fifty three, fifty seven percent of the population um, was extremely urban. Um, it was considered the most capitalized country in Latin America. There were well-equipped ports. Um, so basically, um, 
kind of going into well, what, what, how, how does this happen is it was such a social divide. And also there's a spread of um, communism. So in 1952, uh, the ruler of, of um, Cuba's name is uh, um, uh, Batista, sorry. And Batista basically said that um, he was extremely unpopular. He was backed by us. And um, he fled because he knew there was going to be a coup. And this coup was led by Fidel Castro, who was also helped by Che Guevara. Uh, if you've never heard of Che Guevara, go ahead and pause this and look him up. He's another fascinating guy. But Fidel Castro, he organized this coup against Batista. He was an excellent public speaker. He was a shrewd politician. Um, and he was attracted to communism. And at this time, it looked like this was the wave of the future. All right. Um, so by um, there's this violent um, um, death or take, take over. And in 1959, Castro is officially, um, the new, the new person of Cuba. Um, I did skip over Stalin died in 1953. Um, I gave you a short article to read on his death. It's interesting how he died. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a kind of, it's not funny, but it's an interesting story. So now Castro is, in charge, and what he's going to do is very similar to what Nasser did: is he nationalized all American-owned property, um, and he also grew friendlier with the Soviet Union. Um, we put America put a trade embargo on Cuba. This was actually in effect until 2015. Actually, I have another vice, optional vice. So I have two optional vices for you that has to do with Cuba. It's really interesting. And so, how are we going to respond with? Um, Cuba getting cozier with the Soviet Union, well, we're not going to be happy about it. And so in April of 1961, we have the what is known as the Bay of Pigs. And the Bay of Pigs was an attempt to remove Castro from power. And it was extremely embarrassing because um, this point, there, everyone's spying on everybody. There's technology to spy. And they knew, not only did they know we were coming, they knew where. And it was a complete slaughter. And who were we? Well, it was Cuban exiles that the CIA had trained. And so this was horribly embarrassing. And so in response, Cuba agreed to put Soviet nuclear missiles throughout Cuba, you know, to protect against a future U.S. invasion. So this then leads us to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, we did have um, um, an airplane, um, uh, airplane, uh, surveillance that we saw these nukes throughout Cuba. And so basically JFK had to decide whether to launch direct attacks to destroy the missiles or an all out invasion or what to do. And so he decides to go with a middle course decision. And so I'm going to kind of give you a run by run of what he decided to do. So on October 22nd, he issued a quarantine. Um, and this, this was the word quarantine legally distinguishes itself from the word blockade because uh, blockade is an act of war and a state of war already existed. All right. So JFK also sent a letter to Khrushchev. Khrushchev is the ruler of the Soviet Union now that Stalin is dead. And this is extremely important because Khrushchev is so very different from Stalin. Khrushchev actually de-Stalinizes Russia. Like he's much more soft. So that's super, super, super important. Um, basically JFK tells Khrushchev no weapons in Cuba and is basically telling him they need to be dismantled and they need to be removed. And so this is the first of a series of letters between the USSR and the United States. Um, basically, um, Khrushchev responded by sending Soviet ships, uh, the U S spy planes, um, um, 
we basically are, we place um, America at DEFCON 2, um, where war was imminent. Um, and basically at this point, our, the crisis kind of reaches a, a stalemate. You know, we, we have, we're spying on them, they're spying on us. Um, so on October 26th, the ABC News correspondent John Scaly was approached by a Soviet agent and basically was suggested that an agreement, this agent said, like, an agreement can be made in which the Soviets remove the missiles from Cuba if U.S. promised not to invade. Uh, and so the White House, so this letter was given to the White House, and the White House is, like, scrambling to check the validity. Um, but then in the middle of the night, Khrushchev, and it's looking to be proved true, in the middle of the night, Khrushchev sent JFK a, a, a message. And it was long, and it was emotional, and it was talking about nuclear holocaust, and we can't do this. And basically presented a resolution that was literally like the same in that letter. And so at this point, JFK's like, huh, like, I mean, he's got that per hand, right? I mean, right? October 27th, another letter came from Khrushchev. And at this point, he gets a little harder. And Khrushchev's like, you also have to remove missiles from Turkey. We had missiles in Turkey. Um, The same day, uh, a United States spy jet was shot down over Cuba. And um, basically, JFK decided, you know what? Screw that second message. I'm going to respond to the first message. This is risky. Um, and in private, um, his uh, brother, who was Eternal Attorney General Robert Kennedy, met with the Soviet ambassador to the United States and told him that Turkey would remove the missiles, but it would not be part of the public agreement. Like basically, okay, Soviets, you're going to get your way, but no one's going to know about it. I mean, this is some serious USA JFK flex stuff. October 28th, Khrushchev issued a statement that the missiles would be removed. The crisis is over, but the naval quarantine continued until the Soviets removed their bombers, which did not take place until November 20th, 1962. In April 1963, America secretly removed our missiles from Turkey. Um, This absolutely strengthened uh, JFK's image domestically, internationally. Um, As a result of these misunderstandings, the direct telephone line, which was known as the hotline between the White House and the Kremlin was established because it was like this communication was very clear. We couldn't get in touch with them. Um, This was the closest the world had ever gotten to nuclear conflict. Um, Both superpowers began to reconsider um, nuclear arms race and took steps to a to agree to a nuclear test ban treaty. And by 1963, uh, the United States, USSR, and Britain signed a historic treaty banning atmospheric testing. And this was an attempt to reduce Cold War tensions. Uh, The French refused to resign (laughs) because they were in the middle of like creating their own new nukes. Um, This also made Khrushchev look like a big dodo. And so he actually was forced to resign. Um, Leonid Brezhnev um, uh, basically um, took over Leonid Brezhnev will re-Stalinize Russia um, and uh, basically attempt massive arms buildup. Um, this is when we're going to this you know, huge space race. Um, his dictatorship was collective rather than like Stalin's personal one. That's one difference. He had the Politburo, which was basically like his men, like supreme policy mil- making body. Um, he focused on foreign and military affairs, um, extraordinarily conservative Um, I'm sorry, I kind of rambled on that one. I hope you're doing well and making good choices and I'll talk to you soon.